0: If you're looking to find out the art and science of podcasting, you're at the right place at the right time. Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I will be your host. Today's guest is Chris Krimatos. He is the founder of PodFest, and he is also the author of Start Ugly. In today's episode, Chris and I talk about all things podcasting, We talk about how community is critical in today's day and age of marketing. Chris just won a world's record for having the largest live event for podcasting, and I'm sure this is not going to be his last. Please welcome Chris. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. And today we are taking a deep dive on the audio experience and the art and science of podcasting with Chris Kremitzos. Hey Chris, how are you?
1: Hey Lisa, thank you for pronouncing my name right. That was awesome.
0: Yeah, I had to look it up on some videos to be honest. (laughs) That's one of my Social PR Secrets. If you don't know how to pronounce somebody's name, look at past interviews. That's Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I actually have just been introduced to you this year when I attended PodFest, which was awesome and right in my backyard, which made it convenient. What I loved about it was the community aspect. I mean, it was just, everybody was very embracing and very friendly and um, not like a lot of conferences are, unfortunately. But you're a, you're a superhero when it comes to the podcast world.
1: Uh, I appreciate that. But I, I would like to think that... Um... I'm just someone that loves people and loves um, content creation and podcasting is just something that I really appreciate. I like uh, anything to do with online media in general.
0: Well, ditto, I'm the same. So how did you start PodFest? Tell us your story and, and how you got started with that.
1: Well, I was running a community in the Tampa Bay region for business owners and we were doing something like 150 events a year. So before PodFest ever happened, I basically sharpened the saw, as they say. I did over 2,000 events. And one of the meetups, it was August, I'd like to say it was August 5th, 2013, somewhere around there, give or take a few days. And we held a meetup about podcasting. We had 13 attendees. And I, I was already part of media. I used to do live TV shows in the early 2000s. And I for whatever reason, I got, I fell out of grace with the station management and they threw me literally off the air during uh, my show run and uh, got a first amendment attorney and all that stuff. So I, I had to get, um, so I was at the top of my game. I couldn't have access to the airwaves and I wasn't too happy. <laughs> I, and I was a lot younger too back then. So I didn't know how to navigate and talk to people in a, in a manner that w- without being a hothead. So, um, I, I created my community and I always said to myself, next time I see an opportunity in media, I'm going to make sure to ride that wave. And when I saw podcasting, this decentralized platform that no one controlled, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I missed out on the YouTube craze, or at least I thought at the time I missed out on the YouTube craze. Um, and I was too used to like big productions. Cause I used to have a, a camera crew, a technical director, so I could never adapt to YouTube because YouTube was like, you know, it was before cell phones when it first came out a little camera and you just put it together. I, I just, I, it took time for me to adjust. So we started the first um, we started by doing that meetup. I did two workshops. We had 75 people attend each workshop. So it told me back then if I could do two workshops within a month apart, each other about the same topic and they fill up the room, that there was a demand. A lot of those people started podcasts and we're talking about 2013, 2014, and they all did really well. So from there, we started an association called the Florida Podcast Association for all the locals in the state. They were We've been doing that now uh, eight years, every month for eight years. And out of that came PodFest. And I did make a promise to myself. I said, no matter how big podfest needs to get i will allow it to grow and i will follow its growth so i know it sounds very organic so it's the opposite of like i'm gonna make it as big as i can it was like i'm gonna allow it to grow and i will follow it for where it wants to grow so from 100 attendees first year year two was 181 year three was 373 that's when we moved to orlando um and then it went from 373 to 496 to uh 975 attendees to this past year 2000 registered attendees and we were the last event before covid shut everything down so we were very lucky that we were literally on that i mean when i tell you razor's edge you know this oh yeah Uh, that sunday night when it was done there was no events in orlando everything was canceled
0: yeah after after
1: our event was done
0: you guys got in like it was just unbelievable how how you really it was lucky for everybody that was able to attend and I was one of them and I was thinking I remember a couple of days before is this going to happen these poor people flying in or um, but thankfully it did happen and it was really the a great great timing for me because it kind of gave me my strategy that I did during COVID so if I wouldn't have attended PodFest I don't know which direction I would have gone in but definitely PodFest was a, a huge inspiration and you know podcasting today is, I mean, it's, I, I think podcasting is today's PR. That's like my social PR secret is um, podcasting for PR, but on both sides. I mean, my motto also is, um, we don't have to necessarily rely on the media because we are the media. We can be our own media and be our own voice. So what are some trends that you're seeing, especially now, you know, with COVID in, in podcasting? And I also wanna talk about the event coming up next week.
1: Well, a lot of, uh, I know this has been in the media, but a lot of new content creators came online because they didn't have anything to do as far as work-wise. So they turned to podcasting to do outreach and build a brand. And a lot of the purists in my community will say, oh, let's see if they last. I can tell you right now, Lisa, I've talked to quite a few people that started and they're here to stay. Like their shows are going to be pretty big in the next couple of years Um, also we saw the people that started their shows two or three years ago, literally rely on their podcast to bring in all their income. So they were fortunate in that they started two, three years ago, everything else shut down. Their podcast was able to produce for them because, um, people would be listening. Uh, but as far as like overall trends, uh, you know, Amazon just got added. So podcasts is more ubiquitous than it's ever been. The real trend that I think is going to drive a lot of the growth is the advertiser money. And that hasn't really come in yet. So you have to realize when I started, I think uh, ten million dollars was spent in ads on podcasting. Then it went from twenty-five to fifty million. Now I think this year it's close to a billion. Uh, but if, but you have to realize that's like the tip of the iceberg. You're talking about somewhere between ten to fifteen, maybe twenty billion dollars will come in once that avalanche happens. Which it has. The watershed moment hasn't happened yet. It'll happen in a couple of years it's going to change the game because that money is going to usher down to all the creators with the with their audiences and it's going to fuel a lot of different tools and mo- that money allows the system to create different things. So you're going to see a lot of unique things, but there's one thing that it won't change the relationship. The podcaster has with the audience, that's up to the creator themselves. And that's where I would really focus on because those external factors until they happen, you don't really have control over them, but they are happening as we speak.
0: Yeah. And I also can, I agree with you. I think that the sponsorship and the advertising opportunity, they're really a hidden gem right now for brands that can recognize it and, and reach out to um, to podcast show, podcasters that have uh, you know overlapping audiences, and especially for industries like the CBD industry, where we don't you know I have a lot of clients in that industry, and we don't have the opportunity to do something um, with paid advertising per se, uh, Google or Facebook, but you can sponsor podcasts, you know, and do more of the traditional line. So I just feel like that's definitely a, a hidden gem is the advertising side of it, and then the creation side we were talking before we got started about, you know, I think that podcasting is, you know, there's art and science to it. So can you speak to both sides of the art and the science behind podcasting when it comes to creation? And
1: yeah, I mean, the art is basically the, you know, how are you creating your content? What are you talking about? How are you positioning it? Um, I would relay all of it, the art and the science to down to strategy. So what is your strategy? Like, A lot of people look at artists, but there's a strategy behind every great artist. If you look at Salvador Dali, he was one of the greatest marketers of our time. He would walk down uh, in New York, I think, with an ocelot, and everybody thought he was nuts. But uh, people would take pictures, and that would go in the papers, and they would be like this eccentric surrealist, you know? But if you look at his art, um, I I don't know, Lisa, how much you're into art, but they have the Dali Museum in Tampa Bay. He literally created, he said, a perfect shape was a double helix. And we found out later on that that was the shape of DNA. So like the guy was a genius. I mean, he was just a, a, an amazing genius and he understood structures and geometrics. And yet he was a surrealist artist, which, you know, clocks melting and all kinds of stuff. So the two definitely intersect. So when it comes to podcasting, you want to understand what is your art? What is, what is, how are you going to functionalize? There's a term uh, a martial artist used to tell me, how are you going to functionalize your art? And I'd always say to him, what does that mean? He goes, too many people copy, but they don't functionalize who they are into their art. So I'm big into functionalizing your art. In other words, understanding your essence, and then how do you filter that into the medium? So in this case, we're talking about podcasting what are the audio cues? Um, One term that doesn't get mentioned a lot that I think is really important in the art of podcast creation is sound design. And when you hear that word, you understand what it means. Like, how am I designing the sound that you listen to that will create an experience? And I think that's really important in uh, creating audio because it's theater of mind. And where many of us studied or we know this from history books, but there was a guy named Orson Welles. And when radio came out, he created this program called War of the Worlds. And he literally convinced America that we were under attack by UFOs. In the the audio space right now for podcasting, audio dramas are one of the fastest growing niches. And these are artists, literally artists, painting pictures with sound. And they have huge followings that um, people always ask me, why is this happening? This has always been out there, but we got so corporatized and so uh, limited in our choices on the radio dial that podcasting is unleashing back what used to happen back in the day when radio was this open platform. So it's amazing to watch the art form. So I would tell people, what is the sound design of your structure? I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. My wife does a meditation podcast. So it's called meditation, Women's Meditation Network. So she asked herself, what can I contribute that's not already out there? And if anyone's familiar, meditations are very crowded space on podcasting. She said, okay, well, the first thing is I'm only going to cater to women. So she immediately niched half the audience was cut out, which is great. We know who we're targeting. Second thing is she decided that, Um, Many meditations were like labeled like for your chakras, this, that, and the other. Well, it didn't relate to the modern woman. So a lot of hers is like, hey, this one is for anyone dealing with imposter syndrome. This is for panic attacks. It it sounds very simple, but that that was a scientific research thing. She's like, no one's labeling these things in real fashion. And then the third thing that she did, which honestly, I still pinch myself that this was still open. Uh, the meditation podcasters, many of them do not set the intention before they go into their guided meditation. So all my wife does is she sets the intention before she tells you what you're about to do the guided meditation on as simple as that sounds. That was a huge competitive advantage in the audio scape. And, you know, she has millions of downloads. She has people that follow her all over the world, but this was a a show that she just launched a year and a half, maybe two years ago.
0: That's a great story. And I uh, yoga certified. So I, Get meditation and I will definitely start subscribing to her podcast but that is unbelievable that there's not any uh, you know setting the intention wasn't part of everyone's. but the majority of them yeah it wasn't so yeah yeah. that's an important as you know it's an important part of it (laughs) yeah it's like why are you doing it if you don't have an intention um but yeah so and then like I said at PodFest, it really helped me actually set my intention for what I what I wanted to do. I was going on a completely different path before I went to the mastermind with um, Matt and Joe. Spent the day with them. Then went to sessions at at PodFest, and um, you know, just been you know on this like path since then. So we have another event that you're putting together, and actually your events have changed since the the live event, the last um, in person event. So talk talk through that. And also you're breaking records. So talk about some of those records that you're breaking. So, so uh,
1: we're doing virtual events, but we were going to do that anyways in our marketing plan because it's just good business. However, COVID kind of exacerbated the need for it, if that makes sense. Cause we're all, a lot of us were stuck at home, um, doing our best to do outdoorsy activities, but then work-wise, you're still got to look at your computer. So we figured, Hey, if we're going to do a virtual event, we did a one day masterclass and it was, I would call it more of a test after podcast just to see if people wanted more information. And we had 872 people on a one week test, two hour warm list. So we said, you know what, something, we got something here. Let's see what we can do. And a friend of mine said, Hey, if you're going to go, why don't you call up the Guinness world records? And I said, that's kind of crazy. He goes, well, you always talk about setting records. Give him a call. He goes, what's the worst that could happen. They turn you down. I'm like, yeah, good point. So I reached out to them. And they said, you know, because everything's virtual, we're looking for virtual records and podcasting's trending. This is great. We would love to do uh, work with you. So I said, how does this work? They said, well, let's go to our adjudicators, you know, which, you know, as an American, you just don't hear that unless you're watching like John Wick adjudicator. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a funny term for me. I know what it was. It was like someone that crunches numbers or something and decides on uh, fairness. So the adjudicator was like, hey, um, the bar we're going to set is at 5,000. Is that doable? In my head, I had just done an event with 874 people. I'm like, ah, oh, it's going to be cake. We're going to do it. Um, little did I know how hard it was. Because <laughs> from the time I did, remember, when I did the first one-day test, that was like a month or two outside of COVID. Mm-hmm. Since then, there was like hundreds of events that had happened. People had been burnt out by Zoom. All these things were going on. Luckily, we got the buy-in of the community and we created PodFest Global. So think of it as a global village for everybody to come together in a virtual fashion. The feedback, Lisa, that we got, I was not expecting. I knew that people would love it. I didn't think that they would say this was as good as the live event in some ways better. And when we heard that over and over, that was feedback that surprised me because we're able to create it's its own specialness. And we, we, uh, we just announced recently that we, uh, we set a new Guinness World Record, which we intend to break our own record sometime next year. Uh, and in the meantime, we had so many amazing people like yourself that were part of it. We wanted to give one last uh, hurrah for the year voice to our amazing people, our attendees, and our speakers, and we put on Masterclass. So what PodFest Masterclass is a deep dive in email list building, free traffic, paid traffic, which a lot of podcasters don't realize you could actually pay for traffic of real listeners. I'm not talking about hacking anything. Like these players have opportunities where you could buy traffic and grow your your podcast, as well as how to build your email list, how to do, you know, a little bit of Instagram. We have a Patreon section, a small self-publishing section. So it's almost like a little boutique five-day event that'll cover really deep dives. And the speakers that we have are just phenomenal. So we're really excited to give voice to a new crop of presenters. And then for PodFest for this year, we're, we're good. Like we'll, we'll be doing our VidFest for YouTube, but for our podcasting side, it'll be a, a, a very bittersweet moment for me because it'll be the last of the year on uh, uh, live events for us, virtual. I, I still consider a live event because it's, li- it's all live, uh, a live virtual event on the podcasting front.
0: So you've definitely gotten some great experience with these virtual events. So if anybody out there is planning a virtual event, what are some things that you learned that some tips, some secrets that you can share to do differently or to do right?
1: Well, whatever you're going to do. So here's what happened with COVID and this is my belief, Lisa, and you know this cause you're exceptional at what you do with PR um, COVID only exposed the events that sucked anyways. Like it didn't do, like the people that really didn't think things through. Um, Cause what happens is, you know, this, a lot of us are busy. We do well, we go out to an event, we'll make it happen. The connections in the hallway. And if we make a deal, we'll be like, that was a good event. We don't really then judge what was going on. And what happened with this is when you have to judge the material and the content, it exposed how weak a lot of these events were just, they didn't even, you know, put anything in front of people I was worth it. Because when mm-hmm. you're home, you're judging at a different level.
0: Yeah. So the like tip Plug yeah, and play. Ahead. It was like yeah. everybody was on plug and play. Or- Pretty
1: much, yeah. yeah. And, and I will tell you, there's like um, traffic and conversion. You know that they're going to bring the best of the best. There's certain yeah. events everybody yeah. knows. I think PodFest is one of those. Like people know, like when you show up – We do the work to make sure that you're going to get good education, great connections, and a great exhibit experience. So online, what you need to do is, one is decide what are you looking to service? Like who are you servicing and what are you going to give them content-wise? So you have to have a clear vision for your content. And then you need to, um, I, I recommend, bring together however many people that you can, 10, 20, 100. If you could bring 100 people together, get them on a Zoom. Explain to them what you're about to do. Why you think it's important get them bought in and then i would put out a speaker submission to those people say hey if you'd like to speak be part of this once they're bought in you have the seed that can that just got planted and now you got to add water and then you got to nurture that that first hundred and then you're going to have multiple zoom calls one-to-one calls with your speakers you're going to go put go out to sponsors um if someone's if you're if you're not used to dealing with sponsors what i would tell you and if you haven't had a lot of sponsors you were mentioning the cannabis niche. Let's say I'm looking to do a live event in the cannabis niche, but people don't know who I am yet. I would rather say to a big sponsor like a True Leave or whatever, one of the bigger sponsors in that niche, Hey, I know you don't know me, but I got a thousand people on my web on my um, live event. And True Leave, one of two things are like, listen, we've already spent our budget this year. It's already allocated, whatever whoever the vendors are. The person will say, Listen, I'd like to establish this relationship. And I don't want to let money stand in the way. So how can we do a trade for promotion and we work together so I could show you that I could deliver. Uh, you might not make money on your first event, but if you deliver, I guarantee you, those sponsors will be with you for your next event.
0: That's a great idea. I love that.
1: Yeah. Relationships are key with, with events. And what I wish I would have known when I was younger is you got a barter to build. Like right now I have my reputations pretty much built. I've done this for so long, but if I was starting out, or, or I'm, I'm, um, I'm a veteran, but this is my first live event in the space, even though everybody knows me. Wherever I can, I'd barter, but I'd have a second event to sell into to then monetize.
0: So, you know, this, I kind of use this phrase every once in a while when it makes sense. So I say advertising is for amateurs and public relations is for pros. And it's because, you know, you can't always get away with advertising. You have to maybe just start with the relationship or start with the organic way of building that audience. You're not just going to be able to like plug and play in advertising.
1: Well, yes. And what I've realized, because I used to deal with local business owners and that was much tougher than what I do now because local business owners good luck getting 400 bucks out of them if they live locally, because they're judging you at a different level. Cause they could, when people fly out, it's a whole different ballgame. So um, what I realize now, Lisa is because of my reputation, what happens is here's what happens. Cause a lot of people ask me, how do you get all these big companies and that and, and honestly, what happens is I, I take care of the back in the day, I'd have 15 exhibitors. I made sure they got flooded with um, interactions because we gamified the experience. We have a treasure map, Instead of, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to make when the events were small, let's say I was going to make 10 grand. I was like, I'm going to take 5,000 and buy prizes with it. So I always reinvested. So when you visited a exhibitor, you won, not only did you win a prize, I had 100 prizes, everybody won something. The cool part was those exhibitors then went to bigger shows and those shows stunk. They didn't drive the traffic. So what did they do? They go, you know what show you should sponsor? <laughs> and they tell all the people that they're next to you got to sponsor this guy named Chris. He has this thing called PodFest. And I literally, through word of mouth, I was able to grow my exhibitor experience on top of going out and getting my exhibitors. So you learn really quickly how important word of mouth is and taking care of the people underneath you, underneath your nose in real time.
0: Definitely. So I was um, doing some research and I saw that you wrote a book recently called Start Ugly, yep. right? Um, I love the, I love that name because it's like, you know, if, whenever you start something, it's not going to be perfect. And it's really never going to be perfect. So can you talk a little bit about your book and why you wrote it and some, some of the background on it?
1: Yeah. So start ugly is a fictional tale. So it's a parable. Um, we've been very blessed. It's a close to hundred reviews right now. It's been growing by word of mouth. What happens right now is um, in an individual like yourself that has clients, maybe you see that they're stuck and you're trying to tell them in a very polite way, uh, or they're not listening, they'll get them the book as a gift and they'll read the book and they'll realize, okay, I need to innovate. <laughs> what, what, what's got me here is not going to get me to the next level. And what happens is uh, Start Ugly is written about a very successful business owner that gets stuck in their own ways. And I love that because I deal with a lot of business owners and they always tell me, oh, I've already started. I don't need this. I go, actually, the lead character in the story is someone that's really successful and they got stuck in their ways and they almost lost everything. So the, that's the basis of the story. And and basically years ago, I was teaching uh, in front of business owners. And I think at the time I was doing videos or something and they were asking me what camera I was using. And you know this Lisa, it doesn't matter the mic or the camera you use. It's the artist, the artistry behind creating the stuff. So I said to them, why don't you just start ugly? And I didn't say it that nicely. It was almost like I cursed at them. I'm like, just start ugly. It was like out mm-hmm. of frustration. Mm-hmm. And two, three people raised their hand and I was worried because they'd be like, oh, you were kind of rude. They go, can you tell us more about this start ugly concept? So I realized in that moment, it res- for whatever reason, those two words resonate with the subconscious brain. So then later on, I was going to write this really intricate book with a, a friend of mine and we're gonna call it future proofing your business about future technologies. And we realized the moment we would write it, it was out of print because we talk about blockchain, all that thing, all that stuff changes. So I said, hey, there's this 100 year old case study about a lumber mill, about a business owner that I could create. And I created this fictional story based around a seed of an idea. And it's 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 gone really well. It's helped a lot of people get started. I always tell people, it's not start ugly, stay ugly. It's start ugly and perfectly execute along the way. And that's, if you look at any successful business owner or entrepreneur or just even executive, you start somewhere and you get better as you go. There's no one that knew all the answers when they started. It just doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. And I love the part about getting unstuck um i just attended yesterday and the day before hubspot's uh, inbound 2020 and the keynote what i really loved this was actually kind of an overlying message throughout the whole conference was 2019 is never coming back so the business and brands that are waiting for things to go back are going to be out of business it's the ones that are continuing to and have been reinventing and being innovative through this time because the ones that are waiting for it to go back to normal it never is going
1: to I listen I went I flew out a couple of weeks ago to Dallas for an event and the airport has changed entire processes like and you know it's not going back cuz it's more efficient right so like that's the new that's when we go back to our live shows we're going to be integrating an entire online hybrid model to service people all over the world not the way we were doing virtual passes now i'm talking about in in real time you could attend the conference Virtually through this hybridized thing that we figured out thanks to this, so I could agree with you more. This has exposed a lot of weaknesses in people's um, structures, and now we we're we're, we're strengthening them.
0: Definitely. And, you know, you have to start somewhere and you, I I believe in reinvention constantly just reanalyzing and giving your, your brand an audit and seeing what you could be doing different or what you need to be doing different in order to make it to the next year successfully and stay ahead of the competition. Or, you know, maybe you're reinventing and your competition is going to be a different set of competitors because you're going to be doing something completely different.
1: Well, the you attended Podfest this year. Last year we had nine hundred and seventy-five people, and our numbers stalled. So we were like, we want to get to two thousand, but how do we do that? Six months out, as I wrote the Start Ugly book, is like I'm going to use this, and we created micro cons. The event you came to is it was an experiment. We gave uh, Joe and Matt uh, the ability to hold their own mastermind. That's I love you can, that
0: idea. That I would, you I don't came think through would, us from yeah. a
1: Start Ugly process that we had. So we we're like, we're we'll probably meet people. We would never have met before. So now we opened up our doors to allow our attendees to bring their people and it's a joint venture. Part of it includes a ticket. So then Lisa, once you come in through Joe and Matt, you don't have to guess like, can I go over here? And like, no, it's all included. Go, go do your thing.
0: Right. When I remember when I signed up, I was like, wait a second. So I get to go to this mastermind and I get to go to Podfest and this is how much it costs. Okay. This is a no-brainer. This is like a double feature.
1: Right. And it was a no brainer for Joan and Matt because we had all the extra space. We're like, hey guys, we're going to give you this. This is what... They're like, yeah, let's do it. Like it, sound, it almost sounded like what's the catch? There is none. We all win. Why couldn't we do that? So yeah. I'm, I'm grateful because you and I wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for trying to figure out how do we bring more people. And and the, the one thing I will tell anybody, if you are starting ugly, I actually had a team meeting with my, my staff and I said, I want to let you guys know this is going to be a cluster like we're, we're going to have to figure out how to do certain things. However, if we don't start now, how will we know t- we don't have another chance till a year later. So it was a great uh, opportunity and everybody bought in and it was awesome.
0: Right. And the week of you had to figure out how to introduce hand sanitizer to everybody that was coming. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was a whole
1: nother complexity. I've never had that kind of, I've never had that. Um, yeah. We had pressures yeah. of not only hand sanitizer, social distancing, before anyone had recommendations. So I was watching um, Joe Rogan had the main guy from Houston and he talked about how certain things happen. So I was like, all right, I got to do this, this, this. So I was creating my own guidelines before the CDC was even putting out recommendations.
0: Right, right. Well, it was, it was smart. So as a result of me attending PodFest, we wouldn't have met, but also right behind me, you can see that door. That is going to be my podcast recording studio. Awesome. That if That if somebody would have said I'm going to have a podcast recording studio in March, I'd be like, what? <laughs> but I do. I'm invested Congrats. in it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. So, um, any last words of wisdom to those out there that maybe have not started a podcast, are skeptical, not sure if they should dip their toe in? Um, you know, with
1: podcasting, let's say you you you're thinking of doing it. I would just say experiment with the medium, put the, some shows out there, and see how you like it. If you like it, keep doing it. If not. Some people might be more of a video component and they might want to do a YouTube channel. The main thing I would say when it comes to this field of expertise is thinking about it is where you lose your most amount of time and you actually rob yourself blind by thinking about stuff. You're better off trying to do it, having an experience with it. And if if you decide after you've done it, you don't like it, at least you don't have to think about it anymore and you can move on. So I, the start ugly philosophy is... Try something, try it on and see how you like it. I will tell you, Lisa, we've had, I would say about half a dozen people that started a podcast. They didn't like doing their podcast and they stopped. Then they pivoted. And on the pivot, they started a new podcast that literally went through the roof. One of the examples was my good friend, uh, Gabe Aloisi. He started a marketing podcast. It was like the branding, the branding podcast. It went over really well but he got tired and bored of talking about branding every day. And he pivoted and he said, well, I like playing golf. I have a couple of clients in my marketing agency that are golf clubs. And he started the private club uh, radio show at the time. A lot of us use radio because we got tired of being asked, what is a podcast seven years ago? So, anyways, mm-hmm. So he started that and that became the number one show for all the golf club managers in the world. He's done that now for five or six years. He, now he doesn't do it as active. I think it's once a month he updates it. He's now pivoted to a YouTube channel. But in the process, he's the number one thought leader in the world of private club management, literally in the world. Dave a has been flown out to Dubai. He's been flown out everywhere. He gets paid as a consultant speaker. So his marketing firm... He still makes money doing the marketing, but guess what? Who doesn't want to make money as a speaker and consultant? That's where the, the cream of the crop. So he's, he's got this other funnel that got built by him just wanting to reach out to his core clients. So I would, I would definitely look at it. I would look at it for the art. I would look at it for the business. There's a lot of different nuances. Um, I have an entire network and I hired someone and they do all the content for me. And I do nothing but call them up once a month and say, how are we doing? So there's a lot of things you could team up with people and, and get things out there.
0: Definitely. And you can go on the flip side. You don't have to start a podcast, but you can start looking at podcasts to be part of your public relations and media outreach. and Big time. Get into new audiences. And that's what I love about it. And I, I love being also on this end of it and being the media.
1: Yeah, well, that's the new book tour, right? As people go on these podcast book tours now. And they're selling their uh, book, their ideas, their concepts. So it's cool because we never have to leave the house. So it's, you know, or your office or whatever. It's like back in the day, you'd have to travel like a little dog and pony show. So it's a a whole different ballgame the way media is coming to us inside our homes.
0: Yes, well, I am actually speaking on one of the sessions next week. And I'm going to share my own the case study on social PR secrets and all the mistakes I made, which I if I didn't make the mistakes I wouldn't have learned from and you know some of the things that I have found successful and how I launched the podcast with 50 episodes all during COVID. So I'm excited to be part of it and thank you for inviting me and thank you for being a guest on social PR secrets.
1: Uh, thank you for having me. And I'm excited to host you next week and to see you at work. I'll be taking notes.
0: What, should we talk about any of the other um, speakers and also where somebody can sign up? I'm going to put it in the show notes too.
1: Yeah, so if you just go to podfestexpo.com or dot online, You could register. We have tickets that start at $25 on up to if you want the recordings, but we've kept it really affordable for anyone that wants to attend. The interesting thing is the content that we're selling for like, it really should be in the hundreds because it's really high end content that a lot of people don't realize until they attend. They're like, wow, this is really, this is really good. Where'd you get these people? It's like, we do a lot of work finding the right people. Um, I am really excited to tell you, we have four sessions on Instagram and how people are using Instagram video. We have a session on Twitter, how someone's using Twitter. Uh, there's a session of one gentleman that's actually buying radio time and advertising his podcast, which I find really interesting. I haven't heard of that before. Um, and then we have Joe and Matt are gonna be talking about email, uh, how to you know, get an email, how to communicate, how to use Facebook groups, it's really robust when it comes to lead gen and growing the leads coming to you. So, uh, and I believe uh, Tuesday, the first day we have zero to launch, which you're in part of that. That's really the most popular, how to get started for anyone that just wants to know how do I get started and get going? And then after that, we have all the marketing um, things you're probably thinking of that'll help you grow once you start.
0: Okay, great. Well, if you're listening to this and it's past um, the, the master's online class that we're talking about Never fear, you can sign up for the next PodFest. You can sign up with the Facebook group, and we'll put all the links to this in the show notes. And Chris, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Make sure to join our Facebook group, it's called PodFest. Namaste. Namaste.